my friends and everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written thousands of years ago and yet is supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, Jonathan, the dumb Christian, and I can drink a gallon of milk in under an hour. We're going to walk through the book of Genesis, the first book of this ancient tome. And as we do, we just might get a little excited and a little colorful. So buckle up and welcome to Dumb Christian. When we think about the origins of the universe from our modern perspective, we tend to land on the question, how did we get here? Was it a big bang? Is there a divine creator? Or has the universe simply been expanding and contracting forever? How does the sun work? How do cells divide? And how do birds know when to fly south? But these aren't the questions that people were interested in 4,000 years ago. They were more interested not in how things came into existence, but why things exist. Why is the sky blue? Why do cows eat grass? And why am I here? This is the question that Israel has as they're liberated from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Why did we have to walk through that? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's our function? How do we fit into the great cosmos? They're leaving behind an Egyptian way of thinking about the origins of the universe. They're walking into a land littered with Babylonian ways of thinking about the origins of the universe. And they're trying to discover their purpose and their place. Now, Egyptian and Sumerian, or Babylonian, uh, origin stories are uh, different in their details, but ultimately they have very similar themes. And the idea is that everything has always existed, but it existed in a state of chaos and disarray and disorder. The Egyptian origin story says that land and sky were one. It was all together. Nothing worked the way that it was supposed to be. It was just a jumbled mess of everything that ever existed. The Sumerian or the Babylonian account of the origin story says that salt water and fresh water were intermixed and nothing functioned like it was supposed to. It was just a hodgepodge mess. It was total anarchy. Nothing was in order. And so what the gods who also existed from the beginning, they began to do is they began to reach into the chaos and tear apart the things that existed so they could separate the sky from the land. They could separate the fresh water from the salt water. And they began to make sense of everything by tearing it apart. It's kind of like when I clean my house. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. When you go and you start to clean, you you end up removing all the things that had been hidden or you discover dirty dishes that were tucked away and the room that needs to be cleaned first becomes more messy before it starts to look clean. And this is what it was like for the Egyptian and Sumerian or the Babylonian origin stories. The gods are just making a mess of what's already chaotic so that they can start to decipher and, and interpret and discern what these things within the chaos are and they pull out all of these elements they they pull out sky and as they remove all the bits of the sky from the chaos this becomes a god who has a function and a purpose in creation that you're in charge of everything sky related 
And then they reach into creation, rend apart the, all the bits of it that are land. And they say, you are the God of land. You are responsible for maintaining order and control of everything that goes on with the dirt, with the earth. And then there's a God of water. There's a God who is the sun. There's a God of clouds. There's a God of storms. There's a God of seas and waves. And there's a God of fish. There's a God of creatures. And there's a God for everything who's in charge and responsible for ordering and maintaining that order within creation. And these gods are at war with each other, trying to figure out which god is more powerful, which is why it was chaotic to begin with. And these gods are fighting each other, trying to see who can be in charge of the other gods, the other elements, the other aspects of creation. Who has the ability to uh, decide and assign purpose and function for the air, the earth, the land, the sea god, the wind god? Because that's what really defines who's in charge. Who gets to decide the purpose and function of everything that exists. And at some point, the gods create human beings. The epitome, the height of creation, the crown jewel of creation. Human beings whose purpose and function is to serve the gods, worship the gods, do the trivial, dirty, menial tasks that the lesser gods don't want to do. And this is the whole point. Humans are supposed to serve the gods who maintain order out of chaos. And Israel is wandering the desert, wondering... Where do we fit into this? Why are we here? Enter Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Yahweh, was unlike any of the other gods in the ancient Near East. These other gods who had high demands. If you want to get anywhere near me, you've got to become godlike yourself so that you can meet me where I'm at. But this God, Yahweh God, is different. He actually steps down off of his throne to meet us where we are at. And he uses Moses to begin to reveal to his people, this is the real reason why you are here. This is what really went on. This is really my intention and my purpose for why I created everything. And through Moses, God reveals himself to be Elohim. A plurality of persons, three in one, not three different gods, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect harmony collectively to create something that would also operate and function in perfect harmony within itself to be reflective of his own character and personhood. And this God, Elohim, doesn't create things with violence, but he actually creates with his voice. He speaks and he says, light. And there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness. Why? So that there would be night and day 
and he gives purpose to the light and the dark. And then he creates with his voice, he speaks and he creates land, air, and water. And he begins to separate these elements so that they each have a purpose so that they can house birds in the air, fish in the sea, animals, plants, creatures on the land. And they each perpetuate on their own. They don't have, he didn't create gods to oversee and manage. And he creates plants and animals on the land, air, and water so that they can propagate and create more plants and animals after their own kind, their own image, so that they can fill creation so that they themselves can participate in creation. And at the end of each day, once he's finished creating, he says, ah, this is good. And he takes time to appreciate the value of the thing that had been created. And then he makes humans. Elohim says, let us, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit speak to each other in perfect harmony. Let us create human beings in our image. See, God is not a created being. But what he did when he created human beings is he created the physical manifestation of a creature who could operate within creation as though God himself we're operating within creation. And he tells human beings, all right, here's your job. Here's your purpose. Here's your why you exist is to manage and operate creation as though I myself were managing creation. And what I want you to do is I want you to also have lots of sex and lots of babies so that you fill the earth with other little image-bearing ankle biters so that one day the earth will be full of people, human beings, who manage and operate creation as though God himself were doing it. Human beings, not governed by a, a class system of gods, but given dominion over creation to rule it. And where the other creation stories stop at the creation of human beings. This is the epitome, the, the height of the creation story. God says, we're not done yet. No, no, no. God says the height of creation is actually rest. So God rests on the seventh day and he instructs human beings to also rest. Yes, you are in charge of ruling, participating in creation. Finish what I started, but don't forget to rest. Now, the reason why rest is so crucial and fundamental to creation is, is that once something has been created, it must be enjoyed. Because if we don't rest, we can't appreciate the value of what's been created. Dallas Willard says, there's nothing more meaningful than beauty. This is how God views his creation, to give it meaning, to appreciate its value. And he says, hey, you image bearers, you human beings who look like me in physical form, what I want you to do is I want you to rest as you participate in creation. And for some length of time, human beings operated within the perfect harmonious system of creation the way they were designed and intended to. So much so that Jewish tradition says the animals couldn't tell the difference between God and people because they looked so similar. 
And we ask ourselves, well, why am I here in this mess, in this chaos? The world now looks more like the origin of Egyptian and Sumerian creation, where everything was just in disarray and chaos. That's what it feels like now. So why are we even here now? We are going to explore the answer to that question on Wednesdays as we begin to walk through the Gospel of John, who teaches us about a Redeemer, a Messiah, one who came to recreate the system. See, what happened is early in the creation, after everything was working in perfect harmony for some time, something happened in the relationship between God and man, and they broke up. And God set in motion a plan and a purpose to recreate his image within us, to recreate that harmony and that perfect balance, that perfection, that unity within creation. And it's done through the work of one Jesus Christ. So join us on Wednesday. Join us on Wednesdays as we explore Jesus and why, what purpose he serves, what function he serves as a Messiah, as a Redeemer, as a recreator of the image of God. And this God, Elohim, is still sovereign, still creating, still recreating, and still calling us to rest, to take time to step back, acknowledge and appreciate the value of the things that he's creating, but also those things that he's recreating in us, those things of value, those things of purpose those things of function in our lives, in our relationships, in our relationship with God, with the divine, who does have purpose for us. To participate in that recreation, to restore and redeem all things to himself, that we have relationship with each other, to encourage, build each other up, walk through this recreation process, and continue to point each other to the creator, the recreator, the divine, Yahweh, Elohim. And we might ask, well, why do I need to know this origin story? What does this have to do with me? Because it sets the stage to help us understand that you do have purpose. You are here for a divine reason to serve a glorious function within creation, to accomplish something incredible, to participate in recreating God's image in each of us. The, the, the story of creation itself doesn't answer the question of why when we're living in brokenness, but it sets the stage to help us understand what's coming down the line and what purpose we might have in it. So we'll leave it there for now. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I have been Jonathan, your host. I love you guys. Next time. Guys, thank you so much for joining me as we embark on this journey through Genesis. Like and subscribe. Hit that bell to cause a little bit of static on the NSA listening in. Share this with your friends and family so that we don't go on this journey alone. And I'll catch you guys later. Love you guys. Oh, oh, oh.